You are not alone. And it's okay to not be okay. We've been in a series, as Carter said, over the past few weeks called Elephant in the Room, and um, in the first few weeks we were talking about issues like politics and race. These are um, elephants in the room that are very visible, right? You look on your social media feed, and because we're in the tension of an election year, you're likely to see a post about politics. It's pretty hard to miss the conversation, the discussion we're having on race in our country right now, right? These are very visible elephants in the room. But this morning, I want to talk about an invisible elephant in the room. There's an invisible elephant in the room this morning. Can you sense it? And do you feel it? Listen, the church has not talked a lot about mental illness. And like Carter said, when we do, it's often more harm than it is good. And we're not gonna solve everything this morning in a 30-minute sermon. But I wanna help us pull back some of the stigmas that we've had surrounding mental illness in the church. And the reason that we need to talk about this morning, uh, mental illness this morning, is because this is um, a relative, uh, a relevant issue. Um, Coronavirus over the past few months uh, drove us into isolation and quarantine for a season. And there were um, research shows that over 50% of Americans have said said that that quarantine, that isolation, or the, the general stress and anxiety that comes with the global pandemic has caused a negative impact on their mental, their mental health. And all the stats that I'm gonna share with you this morning are from uh, two groups, the National Institute of Mental Health and the National Alliance for, for Mental Health. Let's just jump into these statistics because I think they'll show you why this is such a relevant issue. One in five US adults experience mental illness each year. One in five. So in a room this size, with a crowd this size, it's very likely that someone in your section, possibly even your row, is silently struggling with mental illness. Parents, one in six US youth aged six to 17 experience a mental health disorder each year. This is not just an issue reserved for adults. Our children are suffering as well. And one of the main things I want to do this morning as um, Mountaintop is I want us to provide a resource to you, to be a resource to you. So if you're a parent and you're like, hey, that's a troubling statistic and I want to be a part of starting healthy dialogue about that in my family, we have resources for you when you leave today. And I'll talk more about those later. One in six U.S. youth. Now, like I said, mental illness is uh, invisible, right? It's hard for us to see. But sometimes it manifests itself in physical manners. And one of those is suicide. This is an issue that the church has been almost completely silent on. Even saying things that are not in the Bible, like suicide is the unpardonable sin. It's not true. What that does is it creates a stigma around mental illness, and it causes people who are having suicidal thoughts to remain silent and not be honest about what they're feeling and thinking and then they act out on what they're silently thinking. And so this morning, we need to talk about this so that people who are struggling with it can feel heard. 
Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 34 in our country. Second leading cause of death. It is the 10th leading cause of death in our country overall. More people are killed every year. Uh, more people die every year due to suicide than are killed in a homicide. The overall suicide rate in the U.S. has increased by 31% since 2001. In the last almost 20 years, we've seen an almost 30% increase. So something about our current society is particularly vulnerable to mental health issues and particularly suicide. Now these are huge statistics that might seem overwhelming. I wanna make them a little bit more personal this morning. On average, in our country, there are 132 suicides per day. 132 completed suicides every day in our country. And those aren't just numbers. That's 132 people, stories. And these are people with families and friends and obviously pain and trauma. And this is, a, this, is a, this is an issue that hits home for me because the rate of suicide is highest in middle-aged white men. In about a month, I'm gonna turn 30. And when I do, I will enter into this demographic and I will be the most vulnerable person in our country to suicide. 2017, which is some of the most recent data, says that white men accounted for 70% of the deaths by suicide. But it not only hits home close, uh, close to home for me because of that, I have my own personal journey with mental illness. When I was in high school, um, I went through a struggle with insomnia, severe insomnia, where I was sleeping about eight hours per week. And what that insomnia did is it manifested itself in my life with mild depression, severe anxiety, and panic attacks. And I thought to myself, Jake, you're, you're the son of a pastor. You've been in the church your whole life. You walk with Jesus. You shouldn't be feeling this. And I just wish that someone would have looked at me during that time and said, you're not alone. And even though you follow Jesus, it's okay to not be okay. Because listen, I believed that it wasn't okay, that it was wrong for me to be struggling with my mental health, that there was something sinful going on inside of me because I couldn't control the thoughts in my mind. I felt alone, and it caused me to isolate, and to internalize my feelings instead of being honest with myself and reaching out and getting help. Like I said, we won't undo all the damage this morning that's been done, and we won't solve all the problems around mental illness. I'm just gonna take that off of our chest this morning. But I do hope that we will begin to unravel some of these stigmas and some of the shame that surrounds mental illness. Because ultimately, my heart is that Mountaintop would become a place and a people and a church, a community where three things happen. People know that you can be honest, you can get help, and you can begin a journey to healing. 
you can be honest here. You can get help here, and you can begin a journey to healing. Now, before we get any further into this issue, let me, let me say a word about healing, all right? Because one of the reasons that uh, faith communities do damage when they talk about mental illness is because we have a tendency to over-spiritualize things, and that is very true of mental illness. And so let me say just a word about healing. I believe that our God is the ultimate healer. I actually believe that our God is the only one who can heal. I believe that Jesus, his son, who we're gonna read a story about in a moment, is a healer. I also believe that sometimes God uses modern methods to bring healing. And that shouldn't really be a controversial statement, but in the church it is. And listen, we've gotten there with physical illness, right? We wouldn't dare look at someone who had been diagnosed with cancer and say to them, hey, listen, I'm gonna be praying for your healing and just walk away. No, we would say, listen, I'm gonna pray that Jesus brings healing into your life as you seek medical advice from a doctor, as y'all come up with a plan to treat your cancer that might involve chemo or radiation so that we can get this cancer out of your body. And so why would we look at someone with mental illness and say to them, Jesus is the only one who can heal you? Of course he is. Could it be that he also wants to use modern methods to do that? Our faith in God does not have to stand in opposition to modern medicine. Our faith in God does not have to stand in opposition to science. God created those things. Right? So it's just ridiculous that we think that they have to be in opposition to each other. Things like medication, psychiatric assistance, license and professional counseling. Those tools, when in the hands of our God, the only God who heals, can bring freedom to people. And we, when we attach stigmas and shame to those things, we are actively keeping people from seeking the healing that they need. Our God is a good God, and he wants to heal. And sometimes he can do it with modern tools. All right, so the people this morning uh, in our midst who are struggling with mental illness, they don't need just a shout out from us. They need someone to show up. And what's ultimately gonna determine whether or not we're a community where people feel like they can be honest and get help and seek healing is not what I say this morning. It's whether or not we decide if we're gonna be a community that shows up. That says we're not gonna be problem solvers, we're gonna be people lovers. That we're not gonna just try to show up and, and solve people's problems that we're gonna give the gift of our presence to show up and care and meet them where they're at. And so I would be remiss this morning if I kept talking because I am more aware this morning than I ever have been standing on the stage that there is nothing that I can do to fix the issue of mental illness. We need someone to show up and his name is Jesus. And so before we approach the word this morning together, would you pray with me that he would show up? Father God, I, 
I know, because the stats say so and because I feel it, that there, is, there are people in this room this morning who are silently carrying burdens that you want them to be free of. And God, would we not try to make a complex issue simple? We need you to show up. We need you to give us the gift of your presence this morning, to be in this room as we read your word and we learn from your son what it looks like to approach the issue of mental illness. And God, may your word transform us as we read Would it change us to be more like you? We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, this morning we're going to be in the book of Mark, which is the second gospel account of Jesus' life. We're going to be in chapter 5. So if you want to go ahead ahead and turn there in your Bibles or open up in your app to Mark chapter 5. And let's just jump right in because we've got a lot to cover this morning with this passage. This is a story about Jesus and his disciples. Mark, five, chapter, uh, Mark chapter five, verse one. It says, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. Now, whenever we're reading scripture, one of the things that we wanna be on the lookout for is transitional phrases like this or directional phrases like this. They came to the other side of the sea. It's probably good for us to know where they came from, right? Especially since we're reading a narrative, narratives happen in a specific order for a specific reason. And so we wanna go back and look at what's happening in Mark chapter four. Where have they just come from? And what happens in Mark chapter four is Jesus is teaching and preaching like he often does. And he's preaching about the kingdom uh, that is not of this world that we talked about last week. And he's using all these parables and stories. And as he does, the crowd continues to grow. And at a certain point, he gets a little tired and his disciples get a little tired. And as they often do, Jesus suggests to them, hey, let's escape to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so they get on the boat and they go to the other side. Jesus falls asleep. That's how tired he is. He falls asleep on the boat. And if you've ever been on a boat, it's not easy. He falls asleep on the boat, and then a storm comes, right? Waves crashing, thunder rolling, lightning striking, and they're being tossed to and fro. The disciples are freaking out, like, why is this not concerning Jesus? How is he possibly sleeping through this? And so they go down into the bottom of the boat, into the stern of the boat, and they wake him up, and they're like, hey, Jesus, wake up. (laughs) We're about to die. Do you not care that we're about to die here? And Jesus comes out, and he just calmly calms the storm. One of the things we do when we read this story is we tend to make it about ourselves. We turn it into this image for how God has the power to calm the storms in our life. And I'm not gonna tell you this morning that it's not true that God can calm the storms in your life, but I'm gonna tell you that that's not what that passage of scripture is about. That passage of scripture is about a very real event that happened on the Sea of Galilee thousands of years ago, where a very real man stepped up onto the front of a boat and actually calmed a storm. Like, think about a man standing up in the middle of a hurricane and just being like, be still, and it's stopping. That would be mind-blowing. That would make the financial troubles that we have, the relationship troubles that we have, the sicknesses and illnesses that we struggle with, that would make them look like nothing. See, this story is not about us. It's a story about Jesus. And Jesus isn't worth following because of what he can do for you. Jesus is worth following because of who he is. 
that action that day on the Sea of Galilee where he calmed the storm. The disciple says, who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? He's not a man at all. He's the son of God. He's not worth following because of what he can do for us, for the storms that he can calm in our life. He's worth following because he's the son of God. And he has a power that is immeasurable that we can't even fathom. The story ends in Mark 4:40. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, with that kind of power, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And so that's the context coming into chapter five. And in verse two, Mark tells us that as Jesus gets out of the boat, the second that his foot hits the ground, it says immediately there met, out, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. I mean, he hadn't taken one step onto the shore yet. And here comes another problem. I mean, Jesus is tired. He just fell asleep and slept through a storm. Right? He's got to be exhausted. And the disciples, I mean, they've been all day entertaining a huge crowd. And so they come to the other side of the sea, and they're looking for rest, not realizing that they just stumbled onto the scene of a resurrection. They're looking to escape their problems, not really realizing that Jesus is about to show them that he is the answer to all of their problems. They come to try to get their sea legs, get rid of their sea legs, right? To get their feet back underneath them, only to realize that Jesus is gonna sweep them off their feet once more. Listen to how Mark describes the man that approaches Jesus. In verse three and four, it says, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. Here's this man, obviously struggling with some sort of mental affliction and his community has isolated him. They've literally left him among the dead. They've put him in a tomb, in a cave, and chained him there. Here's what I want you, here's what I think that means for us at this church, as a church. If we continue to allow stigmas and shame to exist around mental illness, we're just as guilty as this community. We are isolating people to the very tombs that they find themselves in. We are chaining them, keeping them from their freedom. I love what Mark says. No one had the strength to subdue him. Yeah but no one just came from calming a storm on the Sea of Galilee. No one but Jesus. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, everything changes. 
Mark continues to describe the man. It says, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. You know, we've been talking about how mental illness is an invisible enemy. And sometimes when you're dealing with, him, with an invisible enemy, it can cause pain that you can't understand and that you can't see. And so one of the ways that this manifests itself physically is that some people who struggle with mental illness turn to self-harm. And the reason they do that is because it's much easier to identify where that pain is coming from. They become their own worst enemy. And in a, in a weird way, that's actually more comforting than not being able to identify the pain that's going on in your brain. So this is what this man is struggling with internally, and it's manifesting itself physically. And it says he's screaming day in and day out. Are we going to be satisfied as a community of believers to leave people struggling internally, screaming day in and day out for help? The stats show that the average delay between onset of mental illness symptoms and treatment is 11 years. 11 years. That because of the shame and stigma that we've attached to mental illness, people just sit in their suffering. The church, it should not be this way in our communities. People should not have to wait 11 years before they feel comfortable enough to seek help. And so like I said earlier this morning, I, I want us to be a resource to you. I want you to walk away from this morning and if you need help, I want you to be able to get it. And listen, I know this can be a really scary step to admit that there's something going on inside of you that you can't control and that you need help for. But here at Mountaintop, we wanna be a part of helping you take those steps. So here's what we've done. On our website, mountaintopchurch.com care. You can go to that website and there's a few options there, right? You can choose to just call someone at the church and have a conversation with them and they'll get you pointed in the right direction and they'll start the process for you. If you, if you just want someone to be praying for you, you've already taken steps towards mental health and you just want someone to be praying for you as you continue to tackle that struggle, there's a place to request prayer there. And Autumn will get that and she'll send it to our prayer team and we'll be praying for you. And then there's a third step. We have uh, a member here at Mountaintop who is a licensed and professional counselor and he has volunteered his time to kind of act as like a triage. He's volunteered his time to begin a conversation with anyone who needs help. And he's not gonna provide the counseling for you, but he will help you get the help that you need. And then he'll check back up with you later to make sure that you're actually taking the steps that you need to take. So mountaintopchurch.com care, and there's those three options there. And listen, I just want you to know this morning, you're not alone. We're with you. And if you need help, please, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Take that step. I know it can be scary, but I know the freedom that God wants for you. 11 years is too long to wait for freedom. story continues. When the man saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you done? What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of man, most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. 
See, this man sees the power. He notices the power that is approaching him in Jesus. And when he sees the power, he, he thinks to himself, is this coming to torment me? Because the only power that he's had experience with are the powers of the community that have pushed him to the margins and the powers of the, the mental affliction that are happening in his brain. And all of those are tormenting him. And so he's like, surely this power comes to torment as well. And let me just tell you this morning, our God never comes to torment. He comes to heal. God is for you. And he wants what's best for you. And he wants freedom for you. And the power of God is always accompanied by the love of Jesus. Let's see the compassion and care that this very Jesus uses with this man. Verse nine, it says, and Jesus asked him, what is your name? Like, I, I know what they've titled you, the garrison demoniac. Look, what's your name? Because I want to know you, not who they say you are. Not who Satan is lying to you that you are. What's your name? Jesus wants to know you. He doesn't want to just solve your problems. He wants to know you. And so you might be thinking this morning, well, well if, that's, if that's how Jesus handled it, then, then what should we say? How, how should we handle mental illness? When someone comes to us struggling with mental illness, what should we say? What are the things we should say? And I, and I don't have the playbook for what to say for every situation, but I do have a list that I would love to share with you of things not to say. So let's run through them real quick. Never say this. Have you tried reading the Bible? Man, if, I, if it was that easy, I would have done that a long time ago. Yes, I read the Bible, and I still struggle with my mental health. Just get over it. If you pray, I'm sure that Jesus will take it away. I've heard one person say, uh, the Bible is the only counselor you need. Wow. I mean, Jesus is certainly the wonderful counselor. But that doesn't mean that there are not other counselors that might be helpful to you that Jesus might want to use. Maybe you just need to have more faith. Your faith's broken. That's why you are. Here's, here's the problem. What that does is effectively, it goes back to Mark 440, right? When Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, have you no faith? Why are you still afraid? Have you no faith? And here's what I want to tell you. Do not apply a Mark 440 approach to a Mark 5 story. This is a different story. When we say things like, just have a little more faith. What we're disregarding is all of the faithful steps that people have taken towards health. This man here in this story, this man who has been possessed by a demon, he has thrown himself at the feet of God. And I want you to notice that the second he does it, not everything is solved, right? He still has a storm inside of him that has not been calmed. He's still struggling with his mental affliction. There are still scars that mark him. He's still in chains. So we need to get these things out of our vocabulary. Things like, it's all in your head. 
Yes, I was, I was aware of that. That's why I'm trying to solve it. If you love Jesus, you should just be happy. No, guys, sometimes happy people hurt. Why are you upset when you have a good life? And this one, I know exactly how you feel. Can I just give you a little bit of truth this morning? You don't. If you've never struggled with mental illness, you don't know what it feels like. Even for someone like me who has a history with mental illness, I can't look at someone and tell them I know exactly how they feel because everyone's journey is different. And it feels differently for everyone. Listen, people who are struggling this morning, they don't need us to understand their struggle or explain away their suffering. They just need to be seen. That's what Jesus does, right? He approaches them. He's like, man, I just want to see you. Just tell me who you are. Listen to how he responds. This is so sad. In verse 10, he replies, my name is Legion, for we are many. He attaches to himself the moniker of his affliction. He defines himself by his mental illness. And this is really easy to do when you're in the pit of despair. It's really easy to think, you know what, I, I'm crazy. But let me just tell you this morning, you are not your depression. You are not your anxiety. You are not your suicidal thoughts. And you certainly are not crazy. You are loved. You are seen. And you are known. Jesus wants to see you this morning. The real you. He wants you to be honest about where you're at. And he can handle it. The story continues. A great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and uh, the mental affliction inside the man, the demon inside him begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. And so Jesus gives them permission and the unclean spirits came out and they entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. See, these pigs are a physical representation of the death that was lingering in this man. I mean, who knows until that man, how long it would have been until that man took up permanent residence in that graveyard. But Jesus shows up. And if not for Jesus, I believe that this community would have had 2,000 more pigs, but one less man. The herdsmen, they flee into the city in verse 14 and into the country And people came to see what it was that happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. (laughs) Right, the disciples were afraid of Jesus' power as well. And these men here, as they see this power revealed, they're afraid. But I think it might be deeper than that. I think their fear might also be a manifestation of the fact that this is the first time that they're seeing this man as a human, just like themselves. And they fear the part of themselves that allowed him to stay isolated in his mental affliction for as long as they did. So the question for us this morning 
is are we going to be upset if it takes 2,000 pigs to heal someone? What are we willing to sacrifice as a community for people to find freedom? 2,000 pigs was too high a price for this community. Are people going to matter to us more than our own comfort? What are we willing to sacrifice in order for people to find freedom? It says, those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They're like, we want you gone. Because they've decided that Jesus has just killed, these are herdsmen, right? These are their pigs. Jesus has just killed our livelihood. And so they're like, that's not cool with us. You need to leave. It made them uncomfortable. The presence of Jesus made them uncomfortable. Are we willing to be uncomfortable in order to bear the burdens of those suffering in our communities? Because listen, this is, this is not easy work. This is hard work. And it can get messy. But the question is, is what, what are people worth to us? Are they worth a little sacrifice? Are they worth getting a little uncomfortable? I mean, Jesus obviously thought so. He risked his reputation in this community to save a man. This is a perplexing part of the story in verse 18. It says, he was getting into the boat and the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Listen to Jesus' response. This is the only time he does this in all of scripture. He did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how, has he, had, how he has had mercy on you. This is the first time and the only time that Jesus ever rejects a disciple. This man's like, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus is like, that's great. The way to follow me is to go back to your home and to tell people what you've been through. Hey, if you've, if you've struggled with mental illness in this room and you're, you're coming through it and you've found healing, it, it's still manifests itself in your life from time to time as it does with me, but you're coming through on the other side, it's time to share our stories. It's time to stop being silent. Because following Jesus might just mean that he will call you to tell the story of your pain in order to testify to his power. And that can be really difficult to wade back into your pain and your trauma. But when we do, we are showing that God's power has position over our pain. And there is hope in the midst of your pain. And so we have to testify to what God has done for us. Mark 20, Mark 5:20, he does so. It says, he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. Later in the book of Mark, in chapter 7, we see Jesus. And now this time, he himself travels back to the Decapolis. In, in Matthew's account, his arrival in this city, um, there's, a loud, there's a large crowd that is waiting there for him. I like to think that in that crowd, there's one smiling man. 
a man who once dwelt among the dead and lived to tell about it. A man with scars on his arms that tell a story of trauma transformed into triumph. A man who watches on in amazement as Jesus heals those brought to him. He laughs because he's familiar with the feeling of relief that accompanies a fresh start. A tear uh, rolls down his face as he recognizes the sound of chains hitting the ground. As he looks around at the crowd, finding their healing at the hands of Jesus, I think a familiar phrase, a familiar phrase comes to mind. He thinks of Jesus, surely no one has the strength to subdue him. His testimony to that crowd in the Decapolis that day might have been the very reason they were there to have this encounter with Jesus. And his story is testimony not only to them, but to us today, that there is nothing that our God cannot do. Matthew 15, 31, that story wraps up this man's second time in the Decapolis, and it says, the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. That's significant. Because just a few chapters earlier, they were just marveling. But now their marveling has been transformed into a meeting. A few chapters ago, they were just amazed. But now they're, ad they're adoring Jesus. And listen, their adoration, it's not for the man standing in front of them. It says, and they praised the God of Israel because they realize this is not just some mere man. No. Power like this, he must be the son of the living God. Come to free us from the chains that entangle us, to call us out of the tombs that we call home. And when he shows up, when Jesus shows up, our scars are transformed into a story of redemption. Pray with me. Jesus, when you just show up this morning in our lives, we need the son of the living God to do what only you can do. God, bring healing where there's brokenness restore, redeem. Help us begin our journey to healing. And for those of us in this community who have no idea what it feels like to walk through some sort of mental illness, will you give us the empathy? Supernaturally, will your spirit follow on, on us this morning and give us the same care and compassion and love that Jesus shared to this man? So that we could look people in the eyes and honestly mean it when we tell them, you are not alone. It's okay not to be okay. Let me introduce you to someone who can make it all okay. Jesus, we are desperate for you this morning. Won't you come and show up? Because we believe that there's nothing, 
There's nothing that you can't